Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. Question. I know this is a man asking a man questions women questions and it's one that i'm really serious about when's the last time that you cried in worship now i'm I'm talking about though i'm not talking about where you're sitting in the crowd hearing music that's okay We've come under the understanding that worship is actually done inside a church building. But it's not. Worship is a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week thing. And the more disconnected that we become from God, the less we miss the worship. Now, when John talks in the book of 1 John, when he talks about the fellowship that that they have with the Father, that he desires that we would have that fellowship too. That fellowship he's talking about is that fellowship that gives us the ability to... Let me back up for a second. We do not serve a God who is made up of systematic systems. God does not have a committee operating things for him. When the Bible says, for God so loved the world, it literally means the person of God, the creator of all things, who spoke everything into existence, created you with the distinct purpose of having a relationship with you. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story about my wife. She's not in here. And it's not even about her as much as it's about me, okay? When I met my wife, I could sit in church across from her, behind her. I could stare at her, and she could feel it. Ask her, she'll tell you. I've told this story to teenagers a lot of times. I've probably told it in here once or twice. 16 years old. No huge bad stories other than just a typical teenager's life. I was a little awkward. My dad had a standard. He liked when he sent you for a haircut for you to come back home with a haircut. And there were two occasions where, nope, go back. Well, I'm here to tell you, when you tell a barber, when you show back up and say, my dad said my hair's too long and she has to cut it a second time, What do you think you're going to leave looking like that time? And for me, it was just, it was like a lot of teenagers now. I mean, how important is how your hair looks? Let's be honest, right? I was treated badly by everybody. And by the time I was 16 years old, I was in my mom's and dad's bedroom, 12-gauge shotgun, Harrington and Richardson, 38-inch barrel, loaded loaded it, pulled the hammer back, stuck the barrel in my mouth. I still taste the metal. 
to this day. Thumb in the trigger hole. 16th of an inch. It all stops. And one thing kept me from pulling that trigger. Diana. So I started thinking about this. Just how much has the relationship with our spouses affected our lives? And most of us are going to say, huge ways, right? Well, the truth is, if, if I see the value of my wife and my wife sees the value of me, then the both of us are going to do everything that we can to try to support and strengthen those, right? Why is my relationship with my wife more real than my relationship with my God? Why can I drop my wife in a category and say, I realize how my interactions with my wife affect our relationship. I also realize how important what she does affects my relationship with her as well. I will say that for my wife. Why will I not say that for my God? I'm going to cry like a baby. How can we allow bad news to rob us of all that God has given us? Those things that individuals who know, who are in the center of that relationship, those individuals know what can knock you off of the, the, your pedestal when God has put you up there. Nothing. I look back at my life, the trouble. You guys have heard me. Man, I've been singing, I've been singing Rich Mullen songs. When I leave, I want to go out like Elijah with a whirlwind to fuel my chariot of fire. When I look back on the stars, it'll be like candlelight in Central Park and it won't break my heart to say goodbye. Moms chaining their kids to the middle of the floor, throwing white castles at them. A mom having four to six men a night over, charging men to go into the room and rape her 12-year-old daughter. So hard to stay sane when that stuff's going on out there. But this is the plan bombard you with so much bad stuff in life with so much negative stuff in life in life that we completely blind you about what God's done in yours two weeks camp carries a lot of frustrations with it nobody's perfect I had a girl that was old enough to come as a junior cabin leader, not old enough to be a cabin leader. And she came to tr with us last year, a staffer, 19 years old. And she comes to me on Thursday and she hugs me 
great big and she says I just got saved fourteen other kids just got saved you want to hear how softened this culture has made us let me say it again 14 teenagers went to camp, lost as a goose in a snowstorm, and left the campground on Friday with eternal life. I love Glenn Stafford. I'll, I'll talk about that man the rest of my life. Because I guarantee you this, if I just stood up here and said 14 kids gave their life to Christ, that I will do the best I can to be as accurate as I can. Hallelujah! Praise Jesus! Hallelujah! From one end of the church to the other and back. Hallelujah! Why? Because Glenn got the depth of the statement. We skip over it. We get inundated by all these bad things in life. The bad things in life rob us of our joy and our peace. They rob us of a connection with God. And then we wonder why we feel the way we feel. We wonder why we're experiencing the things we're experiencing. We wonder why our relationships are falling apart. When we all just turn around and look, how far away from God are we standing? Is he there and we don't even realize it? Do we forget to pray to him at all during the day? I can't tell you the condition of your relationship with God, but you can. I'm not a priest. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what you need to do for your relationship to, with God to be healthy. That's backwards. God doesn't tell me everything that you're, go that you're going through in your life. He doesn't tell me that, but he does tell me this. You're going through things in your life because it's universal. Let's disconnect ourselves from the systematic structure of church and just focus on him for a minute. Because if every one of us understood the depth of the gift and the depth of the love, what is it that God would ask from us that we weren't willing to give? How much is it worth? Is it worth the price that Jesus asked? My life? Is it worth it? Well, let's see. Thirty years, over thirty years as a as a believer. I have a wife who's saved. Four kids that have grown up somehow miraculously under the power and the influence of the creator of the universe. Very capable. But me and Diana were doing this. <laughs> that makes it less capable. All four of my kids are believers in Jesus. All of my kids are marrying people who are believers in Jesus. My grandkids are coming to church just like my kids did at week one after they're born. All four of my kids were at Bates Creek this year for the first time in a long time. When we first started, Zach wasn't even born yet. Been that long. 
calling. My relationships with you. All the good that I've ever done in life. Everything that has amounted to anything. What's the one foundational immovable thing? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He makes my marriage strong. He makes my life happy, even when it doesn't make any sense. He lightens my load when I need strength. He encourages me when I need that encouragement. He provides hope in all forms of hopelessness, everything that I've needed. He's never made me go without. He doesn't promise me that he'll give me everything that I want, but he's promised me that he would give me everything that I need. And I can tell you up to this point, he has not failed. And it took me a long time to get to the point where it said, hey, you know what? Maybe I ought to trust you more than I even trust me. Because he's the one taking care of me when I can't do it. He's the one fixing the mess when I'm messing it up. He's the one forgiving me when I'm the one that's causing the problem. And what drives me nuts is people will live like hell out there six days a week. Then they'll come in here, sing a couple of songs, throw a hand in the air, and they're worshiping Jesus. Jesus said 2,000 years ago, the day's coming and it's here. We're neither in this mountain or in Jerusalem. Neither will be a place to worship. But when you worship God, you will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the Bible affirms over and over and over again, this is not the temple, this is. You get that? This building can burn to the ground. A tornado can come by and wipe it off of this property. And you know what will still be here? The church. Because it's not this building, it's you. God didn't call these bricks. He called you. He didn't choose to use anything else on this planet to do what it is he's trying to do. He chose to use us. I know, it's mind-boggling. All of the things we as humans have done and messed up, and he picks us. We're dealing with people's eternities. And he picks us. One of two things, either he's dumber than a box of rocks or he knows we're more capable than what we're showing. We're in a culture today, folks, that does not want to show the accuracy of who Jesus Christ is. The church, it's about religion. It's about being righteous. It's about telling everybody how they're supposed to be. When the truth is, all you need to be is in a relationship with the living God. Preachers don't have to tell people, go do this, don't do that, go do this, don't do that. We don't have to tell people that if they are connected to God. If they're worried about worshiping God, you walk into any situation, instantly in our brains, it's like, okay, is this going to strengthen my relationship with God or is it going to weaken my relationship with God? And what do we choose to do so many times? Weaken it. And then we turn around and go, I can't hear God talk to me. Not even sure he's here. I'm sure after a while, have you ever walked up to people doing something, or there's so many people doing something and talking about it, it's funny, it's just like, you guys got this, you just go ahead and do it. I think Jesus does that sometimes with us. He walks up, he wrote the book. Hey guys, can I, oh, 
yeah, no, got it. Okay, you're good. And then we get to live with what we get to do rather than enjoying what it is that he provides us. We're people who abuse ourselves because of the fact that we feel guilty about things we've done in our past. God forgives us. What do we do? We don't forgive ourselves. Are you making yourself bigger than God when you, when he says that you're forgiven, but you say, no, I'm not? Have you claimed a, a seat higher than God when he says you are forgiven and we say, no, I'm not? Yes, you absolutely have. Because who ultimately gets the last say? He does. So how crazy do we look when God's up there going, seriously, no consequences at all? Done. You've seen what you did. You've corrected your actions. Everything's good. Forgiveness has happened from a long time ago. You know how insane that has to look to him? For him to be the one going, the penalty was against me. Penalty's paid. You're good. No consequences. Let's just make choices to do things better. And then the people are going, oh, no, 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 no. Got to do, got to do better. Got to do more. Got to fix this myself. The relationship. What's it? Why does it have to be a religion? I guarantee you, if you're sitting in this church today and you've ever been in a church before, you have confronted religiosity because there are a whole lot of people out there teaching it. And again, it's that systematic structure of you come in the... You ever been to a Catholic funeral? I'm going to rail on Catholics for a minute. I'm sorry. I'm not... I don't want to offend anybody, Okay. Three hours! Hour at the funeral home. Let's do all these prayers and give me a wand with water and sling smoke everywhere. And we'll do that for an hour. And then we're gonna go to the then we're gonna go from the, the funeral home out to uh, the church. We've got to move the casket to the church so they can sling the ball around again, smoke all over the place, sling water across the casket to keep all the demons away. <clears throat> if you want to, you can walk in that little that little booth. Tell the dude what you did over the last couple of weeks. He will give you the antidote for forgiveness. It's not about relationship. This isn't like God's going, I got a bunch of rules up here, and as soon as you cross one, that's not who he is. It's relationship. It really is no different than your relationship with your spouse or your relationship with another person. It really is no different except for the fact that that relationship is supposed to get the attention above and beyond any other relationship. Why? Heard me say this before. If I have Jesus in the right place in my life, my wife's going to benefit from that. If I have him in the right place in my life, in my relationship, my kids are going to benefit from that. Not only my wife and my kids, but every one of you are going to benefit from that. Every one of your kids are going to benefit from that. Over 400 kids have benefited from that over the last two weeks at Bates Creek. And people will continue to benefit from that. Because if we do what we do for any reason other than the relationship, for any reason other than this is something we know through the obvious evidence, it's investment that is a good investment to make. Every time I've went with God, how did it turn out? The way God wanted it to. Every time I went with me, how did it turn out? The way I wanted it to. Now the question is, is what God wanted and what I wanted the same thing? No. So what is true worship? True worship is giving yourself 
fully and wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, to the relationship. Let's read for a while. You guys got like a 25-minute opening, you're going to get a 10-minute sermon. Start with Acts chapter 16, if you would flip over there, Acts chapter 16. We're going to read a little bit for background, just so we know what's kind of what's going on here, and then we'll get to kind of the point of uh, this particular passage. Acts chapter 16, start with verse 1. It says, And he came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in these parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now we're going to stop because some people theologically they'll say, wait a minute, Paul had Timothy circumcised after, I mean, we've got record of Paul um, actually stating that circumcision isn't what saves a person and he had the authority of the church behind him at this point. Why would he require Timothy to be circumcised? And why would Timothy as a teenager be okay with this? It's because it was Tim- Timothy's form of worship. Who's allowed to go in synagogues? Jews. Who was his mom? She was a Jewish believer, but who was his dad? He was a Greek. Timothy can't go in synagogues. The only way for him to go into a synagogue is for him to meet the requirement that the Jews placed out that could then allow him to go in the synagogues, which was he had to be circumcised. It wasn't something he was forced to do. That was his form of worship. Timothy said, look, this is a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make in order for me to get where I originally could not go in order to proclaim the gospel. We're talking circumcision. Small cost? I don't remember as a baby. I'm sure a lot of people don't, but I don't even want to talk about it as a 16-year-old. That's not even in thought. But for him, that was his form of worship. That was his service of worship. It was like, Lord, you want me to go and do this stuff? Well, there's a barrier in the way. And God goes, well, what are you going to do? The barrier going to turn you around, or are you going to deal with the barrier? And Timothy says, I'm going to deal with the barrier. From that point forward, he had access to every synagogue. All of a sudden, the lost Jews didn't have to come out and find him. He could go into where they were and find them. Verse 4. <clears throat> now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering uh, the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in faith and were increasing in number daily. And they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, which is unusual and something we can discuss sometime. And when they had come to to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision... 
And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to, uh, Somothr- to Somothrace and on the day following to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went out outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord o- opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. When she, had, uh, when she had her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her master much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and, and turned and said to her, Spirit, I command in the, you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out of her that very moment. But when her master saw that, that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. Before we go any further, to give you a little bit of a background and understanding some of this stuff, it's absolutely true that when Paul and Timothy were telling Romans, when they were sharing the gospel to Romans, it is absolutely true that it was against Roman law for them to do that. Okay? Now, the disrupting, for the purpose of disrupting, There was no truth in that at all. Okay, now, you can look back on Paul's life. How often was Paul chased? Daily. He was constantly chased. And and the guy was insane. I mean, I I don't know how else to say it. I mean, he would run into a synagogue in this town, tell everybody that Jesus is the fulfillment of the scripture, and just wind them all up. They would all get their pitchforks together and chase him into the next town, and he would go hide in a basement somewhere, and nope, he'd run straight into that synagogue and do the exact same there. And he'd have two or three towns chasing him, and you heard me say before, after the third one, they're like, hey, Paul, you need to go over to Athens for a while and chill out. These they got to calm down a little bit. These guys are, we'll come find you in a little while. So what, Paul goes to Athens, and what do they find him doing? He walks around, and he goes, looks like you guys got a statue to every god around here, except that one that says a statue of the unknown god. Let me tell y'all, gather around about this unknown god. That's the exact same thing he just did that he was going to Athens to hide for because people were chasing him to try to kill him. Do you think as a Christian that there is really anything in your life that you should be able to do that doesn't at least on some level turn the world upside down? 
let me ask you a more serious question. How much do you actually think about and intentionally phrase your words, hold your tongue, not say something based on the potential or the percentage of the chance of you getting yelled at as a result of what it is that you're going to say? We're human. Right? Maybe that's why the Bible says that there is really, for those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, might be persecuted. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus could possibly be persecuted. Am I hitting it? Is it right? Will. Not might, not could possibly, sometime in your life, will. And of course, Diana's the straight arrow in the family. She's the one that's always telling me where I'm not supposed to park, and I park somewhere. Are you parking here for? Because I can't. Driver nuts, she'll get out of the car and walk off. They miss my straw, I'll go I'll drive back through the drive up. Straw. Get chicken, they'll give me no napkins, I'm going back for the napkins. I'm just that guy. I mean, and it embarrasses my, my wife, it embarrasses my daughter some too. I know Jacqueline's a lot like Diana, it's just embarrass her. Well, the thing is, when we take our last breath and we stand before God, what's that going to look like? We spend our entire lives wandering through life, dealing with circumstances as circumstances come up, some of them being successful, some of them utter failures. And we find ourselves walking through this entire life, justifying our decisions, telling God no and the things that he's told us, and telling, uh, telling God yes about the things that he doesn't want us to do, and this relationship stays in conflict, and then we end up finding ourselves one day finding out why our life's a mess. And the truth is, our life becomes a mess because it's lost its structure. Because I don't provide my family structure. I'm just a piece in that structure. I don't provide this church's structure. I'm just a piece in the structure. Sunday school teachers are a piece in the structure. Students in the class are a piece in the structure. Everything that we do as a church is a piece in this structure. And the question is, why do we do what we do? Why do we spend the money we spend? Is it worth it? I can tell you right now, between me and Alan both, it can tend to be a little bit hair-raising and a little bit aggravating to, to deal with some of the stuff. But the truth is, how necessary is the financial stuff if you're going to do anything in this world that's worth a hoot? It's a necessary evil. But are we going to make our lives choices based on what we believe is the right choice? Or are we going to take 4,000 years of tried true history that the Bible records for us and actually use it as a possible model by which we as individuals should operate our lives? I guess it was a little shocking to me this last week. One person down there apparently talked to one or two of my kids and asked. They were shocked that my kids still go to the church that I pastor. I never thought about that being odd. But I did know when my kids were growing up that I knew an awful lot of pastors had been in the game 
long enough to watch some pastors completely destroy their kids because they didn't allow their relationship with God to be what was being extended to the relationship with the kids. Instead, it was completely partitioned off. And kids were told constantly, you need to live up to the standard because you're a preacher's kid. And people look at you and you make mistakes. They're going to look down on your dad. Do kids need that kind of pressure? No. It wasn't my relationship with them that grew them up as solid, Christian, moral, ethical young people. It was my relationship with Jesus that grew them up into moral, ethical, strong, independent people. Did you catch that? It is not my relationship with them that is the provocateur of what has resulted in their life. Because that's not where it started. An atheist, that's where it starts. For somebody who doesn't know God, that's where it starts. It's my relationship with God. This is why my relationship, if it's my relationship with my kids and not my relationship with God, all of a sudden, I don't want to hurt their creativity by hitting them on the two pads that God created for them to be hit on. We're going to squelch their creativity. The Bible says it, folks. Spare the rod. Spoil the child. It even says, you have an unruly, unruly child, the rod of correction will drive it far from them. Is it nice if you don't have to whip kids? Yes. Does it get the point across? Yes. Do you know that God even goes so far as to say if you don't whip your kids, you don't love them? you don't whip them you don't love them because it's discipline want to know why the teenagers running around in this world right now for the most part are who they are it's because their parents didn't whip their butt when they needed it that's why that's why you have 14-year-old kids at camp turning their nose up to a 50-year-old man who happens to be the administrator of the entire camp and go, no, I don't care who you are. That was the human inside me, by the way. It was pretty satisfying, even though I didn't get to do it. Our relationship with God is the key to everything. This isn't about me having a good relationship with you and you having a good relationship with, with God and then me getting the benefit from your relationship. Don't work that way. It can work that way for a little bit. How long is Doug going to hang around, though, if he's being led by the Spirit and the Spirit has him moving towards me to provide me with the encouragement, the strength, everything that I need, but I'm the lazy guy who's sitting back just wanting to be served and never being willing to serve? Then Doug's serving, but he never gets served back. This really is simple. We have complicated this way too much, and you've heard me say it many times before. Christianity, you can put it under 100,000 topics, but the truth is there really is only one. Jesus. People, oh, well, I'll, 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 I'll get baptized one of these days. I just need to get my life straight. If you feel like you need to get your life straight, 
before coming to Jesus, then you've lost the entire concept of who he is. We don't clean up and then feel worthy to go to church. That's religion. We allow Jesus to clean us up because he does it instantly. And then all of a sudden, you're more worthy to go to church than you've ever imagined in your lifetime. The balance I've been preaching for months, the balance between accept, forgiveness, operate under the understanding of what grace is, but accept the responsibility. The truth is nobody has to look to me and say that was a job. Was camp a job? No, it wasn't. Why? Because I love it. I used that for a marker throughout most of my life. I said when I stopped down there, I said for years, first time I walk on that campground down there and it feels like a job, I'm out. And it had. Because it became about the task and it stopped becoming about what Jesus wanted to accomplish. Because the truth is, I can set goals. But how do I know that my goals are actually set higher than God's? Because the truth is, if I set goals, I'm only going to reach to meet mine. You got me? But if I look at God and I serve that God who I've seen my entire life, thousands of people come to know Jesus through him. I've seen him bail people out of issues that were miraculous, absolutely no way that anybody could explain anything except for it was the supernatural hand of God that did it. And everybody who's sitting in this place has seen it at some point, whether you want to validate it or not. See, the thing is, God's not who somebody tells you he is. He is who he is. The Bible gives us all of the information we need to know his attributes, to know who he is. Jesus Christ went so far as to say, I've not called you my slaves, and I've not claimed to be your master. I have called you friend, because everything that the Father has shared with me, I have shared with you. Did you get that? If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are a friend. Why would I use that word? That's a weird word to use, right? For God towards people? Friend? Can anybody explain to me a better word to use for a relationship? See, it's not about the hammer. It's not about dropping the hammer on the legalism. It's not about you living up to a particular standard. It's about you living to the standard that God wants you to live at. It's not about you changing in ways that I tell you to or somebody else tells you to. It's about Jesus and the Holy Spirit convicting you and saying, okay, here's the next area of your life we're going to turn a little attention to. And if we're willing individuals who are willing to do that, we look back five, ten years in our life and it's like, oh my goodness, look what he's done. Go talk to some of my old teachers when I was in high school. You will see a pretty huge difference. And I've told the stories about the one teacher that was Caitlin's. She's still flabbergasted. I can't run into her anymore. She just look at me and laugh and shake her head and walk away. She still can't consume the fact that that little brat that said the fun, mean little class clown things every day that went to the office over 500 times in one year became a preacher 
But you know what the funny thing is? Do you know how he brought me to him? A relationship. Took one person at the church that I was attending at the time. Just one. To look at me and say, I'm willing to invest. Because the instant that I came to that conclusion, that drew me to that conclusion, that if I lay my head on my pillow tonight, and I take my last breath and don't wake up, I'm going to hell. Who do you think I called? The one guy that I had a relationship with. He came straight to my house that night, sat on the front porch swing, and we talked for about an hour about who Jesus was. You all have relationships. How many of you have relationships with people who don't know Jesus? Do you realize just the relationship itself, you having a connection relationship with Jesus, just the connection of the relationship that you as a believer have with another person, that's the power of salvation. Because God has given us those relationships to operate within them. This whole thing is built on relationship. When the three, before they created anything, there was three. Three persons, one Godhead. How important was it that their relationship was good? It all started from a good relationship. And that's where your emphasis needs to be. First and foremost, your relationship with Jesus. Do you worship him? Do you drive around in the car regardless of what the circumstances were? I know I got you late. I'll try to close you in a second. Alan's just going to keep being mean to me. Verse 22 says, The crowd rose up together against them. The chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they, had, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet into the stocks. But, when, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there came a great earthquake. I'll let you read the rest of this imprisoned not just in prison but imprisoned in the inner prison the most secure place in one of these prisons and not only did they put them in the inner prison but did you notice it also said that they put their legs in stocks stocks were created to cause harm they were made to make people cramp their legs because you couldn't move them the chains is long if you need to move your legs around you can't get them apart and it would cause, over time, the muscles to contract and create this issue for prisoners. Now, we know that Paul, in many cases, he was given free run of the prison. He wasn't always put to the inside, but this time he was. He was put to the inside without a trial. He was put to the inside without an investigation. He was put to the inside of that prison without any fair treatment whatsoever. What happened to you? How would you feel? Scared? Mad? I mean, I could probably imagine becoming one of those two, right? What did they do? 
They prayed and they sang hymns and praises to God. They were, they could have been killed. These Romans are mad. They just got themselves involved in the Roman religious system, created a conflict directly between Christians and Romans. They could have just been dead for doing what they did. And what were they doing? What did they do? They delivered a demon out of a possessed woman. And because it cut into somebody's profit, they got upset. Do you think that those two had anything to worry about, the ones that are in prison? think Paul and them had anything to worry about? No, because they were just doing what they were supposed to be doing. If you notice through that story, they were open to the Holy Spirit. They knew when the Holy Spirit did not want them to go to Asia. But they picked on the fact, picked up on the fact that the Holy Spirit did want them to go where they would run into this woman and that woman on the path. Now, I'm going to get up in the morning and I got work to do. I have several things. There are markers, in my, markers throughout my day. Now, if I'm between the beginning of my day and my first marker and something pops up, as a Christian, what am I supposed to do? Holy Spirit tells you what to do. Now, if the Holy Spirit says, hey, you need to deal with this, now all of a sudden my first priority of the day just became my second priority of the day, right? This is the way it's supposed to work. Being open to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit showing us what it is that we're supposed to do. Being responsible Christians no matter where we go. Just living the life the way that we're supposed to. How many of you, if you had the power, the ability, to be able to deliver a demon out of a a demon-possessed woman, and you walked up on that woman in public, you knew you had the ability to do this. How many of you could walk by her and just let her stay possessed? No. That's not what we do. We deliver people from their bondage. We give people what it is that they need to be released from slavery. Not to bind them. So our service of worship, it should be something where we are in tears more than not. Why? Because that's when we let God in, he gets in deep. And by deep, I mean as a man, the ability, have you ever noticed how hard it is for a man to say I love you? Did you ever notice that a man who has been a Christian for a really long time and active in church, how easy it is for him to say I love you? Why do you suppose that is? because we have a greater understanding of what that is because not only are we individuals we're not tough guys i mean somebody who comes to know jesus christ and enters into this relationship we can be big we can be muscular we are not tough guys because if you've been brought face to face with god there is no way under the sun you're going to look at yourself and say i'm a tough guy but we begin to approach life in such a way as we know who the tough guy is And we know that he really doesn't want us to follow him. He does in the sense he wants us to take on his concerns and his cares. He certainly doesn't want us to jump in front of him. The truth is, physically, all he wants to do is walk through life with us. Beside us. Influencing our decisions. Influencing our character influencing the person that we are and and folks the truth is you should not be able to walk down the road and listen to a worship song on the radio that's worth half its salt without being in a puddle of tears before the song's over with because if you can that means there's a disconnect somewhere 
Something's not allowing that compassion and that love to root itself to the depths of action. Did you get that? Let's see some little kid, both of his feet stuck in the mud up to his knees. I can cry because I feel sorry for the kid, right? But how, what good does that do if I just drive by and honk and wave? The compassion was put there because that's God actually saying, hey, look, there's a little kid stuck in the mud up to his knees. You're a pretty big guy. I bet you could get him out without hurting him. <laughs> this is who God is. It isn't this smack, smack every time you're going to, oh, follow the rules or I'm going to knock you over. It's not who he is. It's not who he is. Matter of fact, he's completely the opposite. Oh, blew that one. Get up, dust yourself off and get on with it. Try not to make that mistake again. That's who he is. From what I've seen, he's worthy of worship. He's worthy of worship. I mean worthy of 100% of our heart, 100% of our mind. Imagine this. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. Because the truth is there's only one thing that we can break away from that can defeat us. And that's our God. I've watched too many people in my lifetime fall. And I can tell you, 100% of the time, what did it? And it wasn't adultery. It wasn't foul language. It wasn't drinking. Yeah, all those things were present, but that wasn't what did it. It was because they let themselves get separated from Jesus. And it cost them. I believe Highland's headed for a growth spurt. Another one. The ministries that we have at Highland, we're going to be trying to start back up. We're going to be trying to start them back up and get them full-blown, just like we always have. I'm not going to ride you guys about it, though. I believe that the Lord, I'll put it out there, and the Lord has people, if he wants to fill positions, he'll send them to me, and we'll fill those positions. We're not going to lose our minds over it, but I am going to ask you this. If you want to be a part of this church, and I'm not putting an expectation standard on this, if you want to be a part of this church, then I would much prefer you be someone who understands what this relationship with Jesus is really about and that we as a church serve to accomplish the things that God wants us to like he wants us to. Because again, folks, if you're doing what God's called you to do, you will not work a day in your life. It's not a job. It's something that if you don't do, you're going to feel the pain from it. Because your heart knows that the Lord's pulling you and he's pulling you to make a decision. He's pulling you to step forward in, in kicking up the relationship with him maybe. Whatever that may be. Here's the deal. I can't save you. I can't. Now, I can sit down and take however much time as it takes to talk to you about the one who can save you. 
If you're, if you're not a believer in Jesus, never followed through in believer's baptism, come up here and tell me that you want to do that. But do it if the Holy Spirit convicts you. Don't do it because I just asked you to. But if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you may be someone who's just trying to figure all this out. And, and if you're someone who has been lied to in your life, because I know there's an awful lot of people out there who have, I spent part of my lifetime lied to. There are people out there that, and many of them don't even know they're lying to you. They believe what, the, they believe what it is that they're telling you. But I can tell you everything I find in Scripture continues to affirm this relationship. And this relationship is not based on a standard of life that requires you to keep rules. It's not. I promise you this, folks. You give your life to Jesus, he will straighten you up, and it will be all but painless. I say all but because, of course, that little bit of us that's hanging around that wants to hold on to those old habits is still there. There's nothing that I've quit as a Christian that I regret. Nothing. No changes have been made to life that I regret. For us as believers in Jesus, that relationship has to come first. And I would much rather you be individuals who, when it comes time for you to leave this planet, to be able to say, I have no regrets, than to be someone who's going to find themselves standing at death's doorway and wish that there were so many things in their life that they'd done differently. Now's the time to figure that out, not later. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.